Welcome to Whole Lot of Wolves, episode 22 of season four. We're your hosts. I'm Joshua Buckley. I am Paul LePage. Joining us, our producer in New York City, Mr. Alex Patakis. How's it going, Alex? It's good. Good to see you. I didn't think we would uh, be able to make this happen with your uh, ice and snow. and. Oh, man, let me tell you what. My dad lives on top of a mountain in Alabama. And uh, yeah, there's a good four inches of just pure ice on the road. So my flight has been canceled a couple times. It's been great. But I'm here tonight. <laughs> Yay! Um, and in Baltimore, everybody's favorite Lord of the Rings guru, Mr. Danny Paletti. How's it going, Danny? That's a that's a thing I'll be a guru for. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Good to be here. <laughs> and we have a special guest tonight. Brand new one. It is Mr. Dan Davis in California. But for those of you in the FPL community, he's better known as FPL Black Wolf. How's it going, Dan? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, your wolf support and how it came to be and what you do with FPL? Yeah, so I've been a wolf supporter pretty much out of the womb. It was forced on me by my by my brother and my father. But um, yeah, I've been a fan now for over 30 years. My first game was in 1997, I think it was, when we beat Tramia 3-2 at Molyneux. And we had players like Neil Emblen and Ewan Roberts playing and Robbie Keane. And I just fell in love with the team and the sport at that point. And I've been a fan ever since. And yeah, on, on Twitter, I play Fantasy Premier League, and it's a little bit of a niche on Twitter. There's not many players who play Fantasy Premier League who are also Wolves fans. So that's how I kind of came to be on Twitter. Now, did you grow up in Wolverhampton? I actually grew up in Coventry, so hence why I don't have a an accent. But um, yeah, I'm a huge Wolves fan. I kind of enjoyed being a Wolves fan in Coventry and just... You know, giving crap to all the Coventry fans whenever we beat them. <laughs> Paul, I think it's safe to say that Dan is not a plastic fan. He's a real one. That's right. And to give some context, Coventry's probably, what do you think, Dan, 20, 25 miles away from Wolverhampton. So yeah, during that close. time, during that time, that was that was often a frequent rival because they were they were in the top league in the like eighties, early nineties came down. So we'd often play him a few times. So you would have had that back and forth as a genuine rivalry in your town. So yeah, in- interesting dynamic. Yeah. I used to love going to Highfield road and watching us beat them in the away stand and then going to school the next day and just with a big smile on my face. <laughs> I think that's what really makes uh English soccer so interesting is because the island in comparison to like this country is so small that you have all these professional teams just boom, 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 like right like that. The only thing that could even come close to comparing in America would be high school sports, which even though they're big in Texas, where Paul and I are nowhere near uh, the level that uh, soccer is in England. So I, I just think that's a atmosphere that can't be replicated. It's pretty cool. All right, Paul. It was definitely uh, some uh, butt pucker in time in the <laughs> FA Cup replay against Brentford. Came from behind twice and held on after a nice PK in extra time to advance to face the shit. General thoughts. What did you think of that 3-2 win? It was 
a little surreal trying to not watch it, you know, total blackout of, of no coverage, be it um, legitimate means or not, just felt really strange. It's the first time in forever that I can't remember being that detached from, from a game. And it is difficult to have that type of the context that we watch it in and then switch to a totally different medium and try and keep up with it that way. We didn't even get any clips of the goals apart from some shaky camera footage from fans in the stands. So it, it was really weird. And, and I don't know if that made it worse on the nerves for me. I kind of had it down as like the biggest game of the season just to get through to the next round and that that next tie. So that took a little shine off of it that I couldn't be physically watching it. But I think just the way that they were able to kind of craft that result and again, come back from going two down um, to, to take the lead and, and to close it out, I think is, is a reflection of what this, Wolves team is performing like at the moment. Alex, as a radio guy, let's hear your Mikey Burroughs appreciation. Oh yeah. Oh, it was, uh, it was, it was great. I mean, I mean, to be able, I have to be honest, like even working in radio, I, I never really preferred to listen to sport when you obviously have the option to watch. And I always found it so hard to replicate the atmosphere, but I thought it translated really well. Um, so I was, uh, I was pleased. And the, the one good thing about only being able to listen is you can get a lot of other things done. So, um, <laughs> I was able to be a better dog dad and husband and everything that I normally would be if it were, uh, if it were on TV. <laughs> now, Dan, when did you move to America? I moved in 2011, so I've been here for almost 13 years now. So there were definitely games where you weren't able to watch. So while this, for some of us newer fans, was a different experience, you're kind of used to this, right? Yeah, I mean, it was really surreal moving to the US and being able to watch every single Wolves game without fail. Um, because in the UK, obviously, unless you go to a game at 3 o'clock on a Saturday, you're not going to be able to, to watch it. But here that's 7 a.m. in the morning, so I'm watching every single game with a cup of coffee and loving it, to be honest. That's great. Well, let's look at what the lineup was uh, for this game, Paul. Santiago Bueno uh, was ahead of Craig Dawson, and kind of what we figured Joe Hodge was going to be in the middle there with Tommy Doyle. The other interesting one was Doherty starting on the left side. What do you think that kind of says about Hugo Bueno right now? Yeah, it's a weird one that... You'd think if there was concerns over Breno's fitness in those previous games up to the break, then that would have been the perfect time for those to be resolved or at least start to get back that match sharpness or whatever was preventing him from getting the starting berth with Nuri being away. So um, is there, and I was thinking, you know, is there a question mark over him defensively? But even... When, when you're playing with a back three and he's a wing back, they shouldn't be. So it's a, it's a weird one. I, I can't put my finger on what's going on with Breno at the moment, whether it is just a general out of form fitness concern or not, a, not an ideal fit. Um, obviously as good as, 
out Nuri is in the formation. It's a hard one to figure out. Which is so weird because he just got that contract extension. So I don't know. Yeah, and, and like previously he'd found his niche as a dedicated left back. So it again, you, you start asking questions around him defensively, and if they had faith enough to to give him that left back spot, then you'd think that pushing him forward, having fewer defensive responsibilities, in effect, would be better for him in in, in thrive. But that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. Dan, what do you think of uh, the job uh, Santiago Bueno has been doing the last few chances that he's been in the starting 11? Yeah, when he first came into the 11, I was a little concerned about him, to be honest. he looked a That bit, first game a bit was lost. rough. <laughs> yeah, really rough. But these past couple of games, he's looked a lot more composed. He's looked like he's settling in. Um, I think he still has a lot to improve. Um, and I don't think he's as good as Dawson right now in this lineup, but... He has potential for sure. I think he looked very good against Brentford. Well, the uh, GOAT of one of these Brentford matches turned out to be the one that got things going for Brentford in the 13 minute when Nathan Collins, former Wolverhampton Wanderer, uh, had one hit his feet, fall at his feet, and he put it in the back of the net. Danny, he got booed, even though it didn't really celebrate Fair or harsh to boo him, considering he made it clear he didn't really want to leave Wolves. Yeah, probably a bit harsh. Although I did see uh, Stu on Twitter say that it was more of a pantomime villain situation. Uh, there's there's that phrase come back to us. I get that uh, reference <laughs> now. I get that. Yeah. Reference. Um, but, you know, it's just I think that from what I've heard, he's uh, he's played it well, where he sort of recognizes that it's a just people either being dickheads or just liking a little bit of banter with a former player. It is a bit odd though, because especially now that we look back on the summer, it wasn't even like if Gary O'Neill had been the the coach uh, during the summer and he had been sent out because Gary didn't want him. It's like, now we have this like former manager who like didn't really want him. <laughs> and now the former manager has gone and, and most people don't have like a, hugely positive outlook on that period either it's just like it's such a weird thing when you have this player who didn't really want to leave and it feels like it was part of an old transfer policy that we're not even doing anymore it, it adds all these extra layers of like do i dislike this guy i don't know it seems like he was just caught in the crossfire i still like him paul i still think he would have been successful if we could have kept him at, at wolves it's like I saw it today. I can't remember. Probably, possibly on one of the forums. It's like, would you, for that ten million pound difference, who would you rather have, Collins or Breno? You know, and it's it's a tricky one. I, you'd have liked to have seen him stick around and and develop, but I think there is more. I think there is more moving parts to it than him saying that he wanted to stay because I think game time comes into it and and preference. But Danny, like, you hit the nail on the head because in theory, if it was that previous coach, you probably wouldn't have got a look in in, on, in a back four, yet you flip the script and O'Neill comes in and he pretty quickly turns it to a five where you'd have thought... Um, 
Collins would have been the perfect fit within it. So it is. It could be unfortunate. I don't think we've like missed out on a on a gem. I don't think he's going to kick on and be that fifty, sixty million pound centre back and then take another move in three or four years and get a top six club. But it is a shame when you do have someone who, who seems to come across pretty genuine and it's a quick revolving door um, in, in, in and out of the club in the space for a season. So Wolves were playing from behind early, Dan, but then Nelson Semedo, and it, it kind of feels like this has been building for a few games. He's come close. He was finally able to uh, get one in really great first move and then just followed up uh, on the rebound. How big was this for Nelson's confidence? I think it's huge because he gets in those positions almost every game, doesn't he? And then he always fluffs his lions at the last <laughs> second. He's yep. not like Eitnery, who has a much better shot on him. So it was nice to see him get the goal for his confidence. He almost messed it up, but of course he followed up on the rebound. Um, I think that's the one part of his game that he's really lacking is his finishing because he's really improved under Gary O'Neill defensively. And, and attacking-wise also, actually. Um, I think he got a lot of unfair stick by a lot of Wolves fans for the player he is. I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. But yeah, getting that goal is is huge for him, I think. Alex, and we, we I know we said this with Adama about in-product. If Nelson Semedo had Matt Doherty's in-product, <laughs> where would he rate amongst right backs in the EPL. Oh, uh I think he'd be pretty high up there. Um I do as well. Yeah, I I think he would. And I think like Dan said, he's been getting in better positions than I think he probably ever has um recently. So who knows? Um maybe we'll we'll start to see a little bit more in product from him, which would be would be nice. Paul uh, it was, you know, one, one at halftime and then old foe, uh, Mompey put Brentford up again in the 52nd minute. At that point, did you kind of feel like game over? It, it, it didn't feel a little game over it, it but it did, it, it had that feeling that it was going to be one of those nights in the we've got that massive carrot dangling of a black country derby and firstly your ex-player scores and then you get you get it back and then secondly that little shit scores who's always been a pain <laughs> in our ass you know so regardless of who's who's been played for played for previously so it just seemed like it was one of those nights and I had like an unnerving feeling throughout the rest of the game, really, that it was going to go long. Would it go to penalties, or would it would be we concede that last minute uh, goal and and get knocked out with the finest of margins? So I, I wasn't majorly confident at that point, but I felt there was still something in the game to to keep on going. And then Danny decided to look towards the bench, bring in Pedro Neto. But he replaced Doherty. How big of a surprise was that? And it was difficult because we couldn't see the formation from there as far as what they were running. Yeah, that was that was an odd one too because I think that even uh, you know the the Wolves commentary, Mikey Burrows and and uh, Tomo and and Lee Naylor were a bit confused by it too, and it seemed like 
they tried one thing with one formation with Pedro Neto and then shifted it. It like maybe at the start, he was going to come in and sort of just be a, a wing back, but who plays more advanced. And then that was kind of scrapped and, and it was more of like a four at the back and he's playing left midfield. Um, I mean, one of the nice things is that we've been so fluid with our formation. So it's not like it's a massive change. It's just a difference in like, what exactly is Tody's uh, remit? Um, out on the left there. Um, but it was a bit of a surprise. Although I have been impressed with O'Neill going for it. I mean, like that's that's one of the things is that it it's easy to look back on previous seasons and say, well, we were gonna be safe anyway last season. Like I wish that we could have tried in some of these games, but I know that at the time we didn't feel that safe, but it was always a frustration where we'd get into these positions, even going back all the way to Nuno, you know, where it's like we'd play these games that felt very winnable and this is a great example you know playing against a team who are fearing for their own relegation uh issues and haven't put out the strongest team and why can't we just go for it uh you know the only thing that can happen is that we will lose and we'll be back to where we were at the beginning um and i think apart from the the results which have obviously been far better than most of us would have guessed at the beginning of the season um I feel like Gary O'Neill's really endeared himself to the fans just in his willingness to go for it, especially in these cup games where it's just like, I think we saw that even against like, you know, Ipswich, which was such a disaster in so many ways, but at least the changes that he made, it was like, well, let's go for this because if we lose it, then we're just out of it anyway. <laughs> and, and I think that most of the fans really respond to that. They really appreciate just like, fuck it. Let's just try. <laughs> Dan, do you like the way O'Neill is able to be so fluid with his formation during a match? Because it really seems like he can make moves like pulling off uh, Doherty and putting in Neto and makes it work. Yeah, I, he had his doubters when he first joined, including from me, I admit. But he's he's proved a lot of people wrong. He's actually very tactically astute. Um, a lot of his decisions sometimes raise eyebrows, but then they turn out to, to be good. Um, He's really got this team playing well. And what what I like most about him is I feel like he's reunited the dressing room again. I feel like under Lopetegui and previous managers, the dressing room had a lot of issues within it. And we didn't really see the players loving playing for Wolves anymore. It, everything felt a bit down, didn't it? But now it, it really feels like a team again. It really feels like we have the camaraderie back. And you see it on the on the pitch with the way we play. Everyone looks like they want the ball. Everyone looks like they want to play for O'Neill. When we win a game, we're all um, clapping the fans and they're all hugging each other. It just really feels like a like a team again. And I think that's what I've been most impressed with with O'Neill, as well as his um, good tactics. Mm -hmm. For sure. And then, Paul, probably the biggest part, biggest moment in the game. And honestly, this could have ramifications through the rest of the season. And that was Nathan Frazier coming in in the 70th minute, only a couple minutes later, just buries a real powerful shot um, to nod it at two, two, and then nearly scored again a, a little bit later. Um, just how exciting is it for Wolves fans to have somebody who's been with the team since he was seven make a big goal like that it's like it, it's an interesting dynamic to really break down you know and especially compared to 
American sports because that whole local element community, having that kid come through the ranks, it doesn't happen very often. Mm -mm. So when it does, it, it, it's a big deal. So naturally you, you just, the, the fan base will, will naturally warm to, to those kids, that kid coming through, getting minutes here and there, the, the pressures often off as well, that if they were looking towards a certain, uh, someone who cost 35 million coming off the bench, there'd be a lot more expectation than there would for a 19, 18 year old from three miles up the road coming off the the bench like what what's he gonna do you know there's there's total different expectations there so for that to happen it's just it it really helps kind of captivate the crowd really buy into the kid um and it just it's like the cherry on top that you've got you've got this great team that's come together they've made some really astute signings and then you've got these players coming through that you could sprinkle in and, and and actually deliver so seeing that and I think for me it's like not only like he's not getting garbage minutes towards the end of the game he's coming on contributing he's scoring past the first 11 Premier League defence you know it's not some League 2 team in, in, in the cup that was a, a genuine challenge for him on uh on, on Tuesday night and he came through it and he contributed, helped us progress. So it's fantastic. Dan, obviously we couldn't see the game, but from the highlights that we saw, I think what was really impressive about Frazier is there's no hesitation. Ball gets to his feet and he's gunning it, which is really something we've been missing from a nine since Raul's prime. How important is it to have a player like that in the squad that's just going to shoot it? Yeah, I think it's really important. And it's funny you said that because I was thinking he's very similar to Raul in that sense. He he runs for everything. He's he's so driven. He attacks every ball. He wants to get shots out on goal. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed with him. And I'd love to see him get a lot more minutes in the Premier League. I know we keep getting rumoured with all these other strikers, but we have a local lad here that really, really wants to play for the club. And I think it's understated how important that is, someone that really wants to play for us. After having all of these George Mendes signings who don't really want to be there, uh -huh. he really wants to be there. So I would give him minutes because he's proven, like you said, he can score against Premier League defences. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the guy. Alex, I said a few weeks ago, I didn't think I would be okay with no signings. And after Fraser's performance, I think I'm sticking by it. I would be fine with Fraser remaining with Wolves and being that first striker off the bench instead of us spending in the transfer market. What say you? I think my only concern with that is I think he's great as your bench option, uh, you know, as a striker for this team, but uh, you know, there's a lot of season left and they're one injury away from him having to start. And all of a sudden we're running into that, like Fabio Silva conundrum again, where it's like way too much is being asked of him. And I know the expectations are nowhere near the same, because the price tag isn't there, but I I don't like I'm not I how can Cunha possibly play 90 minutes every week? It's an honestly, it's a miracle. This guy is like has a motor like nobody else. 
So I what I want is Frazier to stay at Wolves. I, I know I want that in January, but I think I would want another striker on top of that. Like I would rather him playing be a luxury. We're winning in a game and we want to see what we have than, you know, be one injury, even if it's for a match that, you know, somebody has to miss from him having to be thrust into a game against somebody and um, rush his progression. So uh, I think I, I'm, I'm sold on him continuing to progress with Wolves, particularly because, you know, we're still in the FA Cup and this is also a season where it looks like we could, you know, make a run. I don't want to get too excited, but... Uh, yeah, we could have a couple of more matches where he could see some real minutes, you know, so watching him walk in January, I think would be tough. So the answer I'm, is I want a striker and I want Frazier. <laughs> I'm with you hundred percent, Alex. I think to read like there's space on the bench for him, you know, he's not taking up a berth now. So you, you can look to him to, to come off and contribute, but yeah. I, I'd be totally fine with, with him in, in that. I don't think shipping him off on loan now. Is is that is is that going to help his development more than being in and around this squad? Even if it, it's just for the remaining months of the season, that exposure to it, training with these players day in day out, come, coming off the bench and contributing. So, I'm all for him, and I think it, it has taken the pressure off signing a striker. I don't think they have to go big for anyone. So if there is value out there, which we've been told there could be, and it could be a late decision later on in the window, I'd be fine with getting a, a, a an all-out veteran just to have that other spot on the bench that they can look to that, that's a little different profile of forward, um, even if it's someone late 20s, early 30s, that they're not going to spend a whole ton on, but they can do a job when called upon. And then they're saving that investment to the summer where they can really make a splash on the guy. I think that had set us up in the, the the best spot moving forward. And I think the fortunate thing about, you know, if they were to keep Fraser and kind of going off of what Paul said is he's not a player who, if he's not playing in the premier league is going to be upset about it because he even said he was just happy to get on the field in the FA cup. You know, it's not like Fabio where like Sasha was being picked over him and Fabio's like, you know, what the hell is going on? Like we have the luxury of allowing him to just grow on this team without any expectation of him actually playing. So I think they should take advantage of that. Dan, who in your Wolves fandom has been the best person to come up through the Wolves Academy and where can Frazier potentially rank on that list if he meets his potential? Oh, we've had quite a few players, haven't we? I think... Defensively, we have like Jolene Lescott. We had, um, I think Robbie Keane as well was in my in my time. So obviously, I'd love to see him hit the heights of those two players. Yeah. I think it's a little too early to to say that right now. I think that's probably putting too much pressure on him to start comparing him to players like that. But he's certainly shown that he has potential to be a top quality striker. But I agree with everything Alex said that I think um, let's give him time to grow. Let's not put any pressure on him. Let's have him learn from the amazing players he has around him and then when he gets his chance i'm confident that he'll take it well guys after fraser nodded it up then it ended up going to, into extra time which i don't think any of the players or coaching staff wanted it they just probably would have been fine going to penalty kicks right there um but it didn't have to because Neto was fouled in the box and whoa var actually backed up the decision can you believe it danny 
not only that, but they also checked for a red card, I think, against a Wolves player and didn't give it. So we got two VAR decisions at once, of which hopefully we're not using up our allotment because um, otherwise we're we're in for some pain <laughs> later. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, none of us saw what actually happened. I've heard that the uh, foul on Neto was uh, a bit light, perhaps, and certainly by the reaction of the Brentford players, uh, none of them were very happy about it. Um, so we'll just have to take their word for it. Cause of course the highlights that we got only had one camera angle and it's very difficult and you can't to see tell it all. Yeah. You can't no, tell it's it impossible. All. Although I did enjoy, I hope everyone saw the, uh, uh, the close-up of that video where, uh, whatever Brentford player squares up to, to Neto having accused him of diving and Tomato just comes in from off the screen and bodies it to the floor. <laughs> I, I assume that that's what they were checking for, for the red card. Yeah, Mikey Burrows was very convinced it was uh it was a penalty as soon as he went down. So it was nice. Either way, Paul Cunha was the one that went up and took it. He made it, obviously, but were you good with that decision that was him taking the ball? Yeah, I think based on probably past form of him having the pen in the not forest shootout last year. Um I think he's probably vying with Wang, who's who's going to be the number one penalty taker. So um, he, he, he he's got a good technique. So I think the the relief came from from him picking up the ball, and I had pretty good confidence. And we talk about Raúl previously, and and some features of Fraser's game. That was a pretty accurate mimic of how yeah, Raúl absolutely. takes a penalty as well, with the step up and the. And, and the movement and the the play shot so hopefully he gets a similar similar record to uh Mr Jimenez when he comes to spot kicks and really that brings up a good FPL question for our guest <laughs> does this finally confirm that uh Cunha is the first choice penalty taker unfortunately Wang is in a different continent right now so <laughs> yeah I mean the amount of times I've had that question from people in my DMs is ridiculous um I think Cunha is first choice, to be honest. Um, but I do think we kind of have a little bit of an Arsenal situation where sometimes it'll be Huang, sometimes it'll be Cunha, depending on the game state, depending on who won it, depending yeah. on if the player that went down is a little injured or tired. Um, I think that's a situation we find ourselves in. But I do think if both are on the field and are both are fully fit, I personally think Cunha is the first choice. That's that's good information, but I will say that I still find myself too afraid to put any Wolves player in my team, lest I jinx them. <laughs> yeah, Dan, as as far as that goes, just just to pivot slight on the on the FPL thing, is how are you able to detach yourself from that fandom of leaning towards picking a Wolves player, or if uh, an opponent that you've got scores against us, how is it? How, can you can you live in those two worlds? I mean, the answer is no, I, I can't detach. I'm, I'm too much of a Wolves <laughs> fan. Um, so I've made a lot of bad decisions where my Wolves biases came into play. Um, and I'm certainly not happy if a player that I own scores against us, regardless of the points I get in FPL. Um, so yeah, I've made certainly made a lot of bad decisions because of my bias. <laughs> I think it's like a pessimist op- optimist thing where like there are people who like to play that that uh, reverse jinx where it's like if you bet against your team well, it's like well if my team loses then at least I get some money as payment but there are other people who are like well 
if I bet for my team, then if I win, then it's like double good or something. Exactly. And so I've noticed like, That's uh, me. yeah, Josh That's raises me. his hand right now. <laughs> and I love seeing that in the, the, you know, wolves based, um, uh, FPL mini leagues. Like I think, uh, Todd DeWitt is one that usually relies on, uh, a couple wolves players at a time, which is way more brave than I would be. I would consider one maybe, but I've been burned in the past and I do not like the feeling of a player blanking multiple weeks in a row for wolves. Cause it's just like, look, I know we're not scoring. I don't need the reminder when I open FPL that we're not scoring. <laughs> hey, that was before salt and lemon, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Less of a problem now. Less of a problem now. <laughs> um. Okay, guys. They held on. 3-2 win. Moving on to face the shit. West Brom Albion. Paul, how excited are you? I nervously excited, but I think for the... the like Probably the, the longest time since we've had these opportunities to play them probably ver- verging on more excitement. And I feel a little, even though we're the the Premier League team going down to, to play uh, a championship team at their place, I'm a little more confident of going there, actually, in that they, they're going to want to take the game to us. They can't necessarily park the bus because they're at home and all of that. And I'm just... I'm really looking forward to that 4,000 seat stand behind being all in all gold and black. And if they do, I think you're going to, you're going to see some celebrations that you've never seen before, which (laughs) for, you know, an FA cup fourth round against a championship team, you'd be thinking normally like what, but this is the Black Country derby we're talking about. It doesn't come around very often at the moment. And wins there certainly don't come around very often. So it it, it could be uh, pretty historic if we pull it off. Well, we'll definitely get into that more in the next episode of the podcast. But Dan, since you won't be there, how excited are you for this matchup? I'm super excited. I'm actually really sad I'm not in the UK for this one. I, I would love to go. I was looking at this, and we actually haven't played them in front of fans for like 12 years now. And so I'm I'm shocked at how long it's been. We we played them in 2021, but that was during COVID, of course, in front of no fans. So the last time we played them, I think we lost 5-1 against them, if I remember correctly, in front of fans. So it'll be nice to go there in front of the fans and get a win, hopefully. And... I'll be living vicariously through everyone who is there. (laughs) We're complaining about the time, but you're on the West Coast. Is this a stay awake until the game or a wake up early enough for the game situation for you? Well, I'm used to this because of playing FPL. So I often get up at 3 a.m. on Saturday mornings to catch the deadline and things like that. So I'll be awake. I'll be drinking my coffee and watching the game. Great band. I was See, just as a plastic. side note, I was thinking that the whole time during the Brentford game, especially when we were behind and the whole debacle of it not being aired, because presumably ESPN thought that, you know, there wouldn't be viewership. Maybe it wasn't their choice, but uh, I just kept thinking, man, if we lose this and they've already made the choice to put this at 1145 kickoff in the UK, 
what percentage of U.S. based Brentford supporters are going to watch that game at six forty-five in the morning against West Brom? Eh, maybe Michael B. Jordan would watch it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's maybe he's got to shoot that day. That's not Brentford. That's oh, is that not Brentford? No. Oh, which one is he's that? Bournemouth. It's another B team. He's Bournemouth. Oh, Bournemouth. Whatever. The same crap. All right, Paul, who's your band of the match? Um, Based on total plastic, watching highlights and background commentary, I think assist and the penalty and just his overall involvement was Cunha. Cunha, absolutely. I'm sure that's probably all the way around the horn. Dan, Cunha? Yeah, yeah Cunha for sure. Alex? From what I can gather, yes. Okay. Danny? Yeah. Cunha and second place goes to his thigh or hamstring or knee or whatever they had to strap up before extra time <laughs> to keep him going. Close runner up in Tommy Doyle, though. Definitely. I was going to say that same yeah. thing. I think Tommy Doyle coming in, he's done an amazing job for us. Um, he looks like a real player. I'm really impressed by him. And he had another good game as well. Yeah. Now, Dan, if you were in the movie uh, Bromance with an option to buy part two... Who who plays you in the movie? Who plays me in a movie? Uh-huh. Well, that's a I don't know if you know this bit, it. so we, we have movies going on, and this is between, you know, Paul and Tommy Doyle this year, bromance with an option to buy. The first one was uh um God, I can't even remember the dude's Trin Cow. It was with Trin Cow. <sighs> Who's an actor that plays you? I'm trying to think of one real quick. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one real quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, what did you suggest? I've got one let's nomination. Get... Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear the and nomination. This is a very big compliment, actually, I feel like. Uh, I don't know why, but the first person that popped in my head was Richard Madden. Ooh. I know he's Scottish, I believe, technically, but... Richard uh, Madden. That's Rob Stark. Oh, those oh that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I I'm a He's... bald-headed Englishman, so in the U.S. I quite often get Jason Statham. So <laughs> just ah, the there you go. <laughs> See, I didn't know you were bald because you're wearing a hat, and I have yeah, one yeah, friend I'm, I'm uh, who I've, I've known for quite a few years. He's from Darby County, and he is wearing a hat literally every single time I see him, and he gives a lot of bald energy, and one day he took off his hat, and he has like amazing like he has like jack Grealish hair under there and literally all of us were like you have hair <laughs> now i just assume everyone has hair until baldness is proven so. bald is beautiful uh, <laughs> dan is cunha finally living up to his price tag yeah i think so i i think this season he's really turned it on what is it seven goals six assists in his season so far um yeah I think is well worth the price for us. Yep. And even better, we stayed below FFP. There you go. Well, guys. Yeah. Speaking of the transfer window, yeah. Wolves were not charged by the EPL over financial breaches. Woo! I think we kind of um, expected that the last few weeks. But um, I know we were a part of the problem as far as bashing the, the club for not doing more during the summer um <laughs> paul what should what should we send to jeff she and matt hobbs as an apology oh, I, th I think um 
I think Matt Hobbs at the moment deserves like the freedom of the city of Wolverhampton. Like Jeff She's not entirely off the uh hook yet. <laughs> just not for, off the hook just yet. Having these like hangers on still kicking around like Geddes and I mean who got us into this mess? Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> there's there's but then you know who's who's been the brains behind uncovering Hobbs and, and putting all of the uh the thrust behind him in this role. So there's swings and roundabouts with it all. Um so I th- I think they've done that they've done a good job with it. They've they've pretty much been proved right. And I think we'll know we'll know a little more probably in this winter window and definitely a lot when it when it comes to the summer about how well we're situated moving forward. But I think the, the only overarching thing with this now is that whenever we're going to get a sizable bid for for someone for for anyone be it out nuri be it neto be it kunya even mm-hmm. if that happens in the summer moving forwards we, we've got to expect the departure because that's what's going to be the the fix to any kind of ffp dark clouds that may be forming in the future that they, they have got to realize that there's a production line now to to keep them at bay now dan you spend all of your time dealing with salary caps with fantasy as more <laughs> owners come in to and start owning epl teams do you think they're gonna try and Mount to get some kind of salary cap involved. I think that would go over like a fart in church, but I could see a lot of these owners going, there's no way for us to make money with these player salaries. And well, not even the salaries, just the, the price tags get the players as they are. Uh, I just don't see it happening to be honest. And I hope it doesn't happen. I think it's quite unique of a sport where, you know, you get rewarded for the positions you Finishing. However, we've seen that now these billionaire takeovers are causing that gap to be further and further and further increased. So it is a little worrying for these smaller clubs. Um, but yeah, a salary cap, I'm, I'm really not a fan of introducing that at any point. And like you said, I think it'd be a fight in the wind. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it would happen either. But I can, I can see something being brought up as more American owners come in just because yeah. American sports teams aren't used to losing money, especially with the amount of money that you're seeing that's lost. Um, I almost feel like Paul, if you want to own an EPL team, you just have to know you're not ever going to see a return on your investment. It's almost like your play toy. It is. Yeah. And and again, that's the one huge differentiator with American sports, you know, Mm -hmm. the, just specifically looking at the NFL, the power that is in that ownership group, that effectively dictates the league. So that's what powers that the TV writes because the owners know that that's coming back into, into their pocket. So you've, you've got those huge TV revenues. You've got certain teams that will sell out or do a lot of match revenue, regardless of success even. So Dallas Cowboys um, that you've got that dynamic as well that it is just a, a, a owning an NFL franchise is a pure money-making venture owning Wolverhampton Wanderers certainly is not so big big differences there 
Danny Fosen has always said they want the club to be self-sustainable. Is that possible with the way economics are working in the game? Um, I, the more, the longer I follow European soccer, the less, uh, realistic that feels for any team that is outside of the sort of superpowers. And I think like you can extend that a little bit. It's, it's a, it's a more, uh, squishy subject than just like the, you know, the sky six or, or whatever, if we're including Newcastle, or maybe you don't include the new money teams or whatever, but but, you know, it's like the what this is all brought up is the fact that for anybody who's outside of that, you have to tread such a fine line between uh, between buying enough to to stay in the, the top division, which gives you so much money in terms of TV revenue um, without overspending and falling afoul of these things, because, you know, inevitably in order to sustain that you have to sell your best players and yes even if it's an inflated price you know you look at like a jack grealish then you still end up in a situation where you have to replace this player and even with that money can you replace can you be certain that this you know 21 year old kid you bring in from wherever from spain or germany or whatever is going to replace jack grealish you can't know that you know it's like you know you go fall back on all the money ball memes. It's like, you know, like you don't have a crystal ball and like Brighton has been, we've, everybody's been admiring Brighton for the last couple of years and now they're struggling with injuries and it's not necessarily that they've done anything wrong. They've had a great business plan for the last few years, but ask, ask any other team that has uh, treaded the same, the path, the same path, you know, ask a Southampton fan. Cause I just happen to have a really good friend who's a Southampton fan. You know, when your team starts getting picked apart and you, uh, you sell those players for a lot of money, you sell Virgil van Dyke, you sell Sadio Mane and you replace them with players who you think are going to be the next big thing. And they might not be, you know, mm-hmm. we're at, we're at the point where, because we're doing well, we're kind of excited, you know, it would be sad to lose a Pedro Neto, but we're excited about the possibility that he could go for a huge amount of money, allow us to reinvest in another player is going to be really exciting, but you're banking on finding another Pedro Neto. And uh, those, those players are pretty rare. That's exactly why they are, are worth so much to those big teams. So uh, that's all a roundabout way of saying that I think it can be a a self-sustaining enterprise for a period of time, but uh, it's hard to ensure that that can be self-sustaining forever until you break into that, uh, that top level. And as we're seeing now, like how much shady accounting is going on up at the top with the exception of only a few teams, you know, to make these kinds of things happen. Uh, And honestly, I think the, the jury is still out on certain situations like Chelsea, you know, how, how those, uh, those contracts are going to shake out over the course of the next eight years or whatever. Hey, every little bit of money counts, right, Danny? (laughs) Don't, don't get started yet. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, how much uh, do you think the esports team winning that championship contributed to the, to the kitty? Oh, uh, Greatly, as we all know, that's what great English football clubs are built on, right? How do you think Man U got to be a global brand like it is? How do you think Manchester City got where they are now? <laughs> Come on. Uh, 
I'm not knocking it. Look, I, I'm not. It doesn't bother me. I just want to say that. Like it. It is. I guess can only be a positive, but like the smallest, smallest positive in the grand scheme of things when we're talking about competing with some of the biggest clubs in the world. <laughs> I can't believe I never looked this up. The uh, so it's easy to find the the grand prize that uh, that Wolves Esports won in the Call of Duty Mobile World Champions 2023 in Atlanta. Uh, is four hundred thousand dollars U.S. Ooh, ooh, oh, okay. See, so there's your striker right there, boys. <laughs> uh, or at least part of it. Monthly wage. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, do you play FIFA too? Oh no, I, I don't. I don't play FIFA. Um, no, I was gonna say it seems like it's always super easy to make hundreds of millions of dollars on FIFA, right, Alex? And it just doesn't seem that way in real life. I was oh, just no. thinking that today because uh, I, I try to make the career mode as realistic as possible. It's too easy to make revenue in that game, though. Yeah. Like, literally, like I finished, I, I cracked the difficulty all the way up. I finished ninth, had a very similar first year to Gary O'Neill's year this year. And then I've got like a hundred mil million dollars to spend in, <laughs> in the first transfer window. And I'm like, well, keeping that in the virtual fifa bank does nothing so i'm just yeah. gonna buy players <laughs> yeah <laughs> you should make it harder make the financial part harder come on fifa <laughs> come on ea or whatever it's called now it's not even yeah. fifa eafc well somebody that can uh kind of help potentially keep us under those financial breaches is uh Giancarlo Guedes and danny you said he could be on his way to villarreal is what You've heard? Yeah, uh, we don't entirely know the whole story, but it was just one of those things that had to be brought up because because uh, Fabrizio tweeted it. So suddenly it's it's news. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Not yet. <laughs> no, not quite. Here we go. Um, but the the main thing is that we don't know yet if it's going to be a loan or or permanent. Permanent would obviously help us a lot more because I think everyone agrees that he probably doesn't have a future with Wolves, which is unfortunate because he's a good player. And I actually think that his strength was something that uh, that was going to help him in the Premier League, but doesn't help if the player doesn't want to be here. So, so you um, say that as far as permanent over loan, but I was reading somewhere and somebody made a good point. The reason it made more sense to loan Fabio instead of outright selling him this window is because that contract gets another year of amortization. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's less of an impact on FFP. So that could be the feeling with Guedes as well is, you know, well, loan uh, with option to buy. Uh, or obviously, I think the, the best solution, Dan, would probably be loan with an obligation, right? I feel like that's what they're going for with these these deals. They're trying to get loan with an obligation or an option to buy so that we can sell them in the summer and then use those funds to buy in players and then it doesn't look as bad with FFP. Mm -hmm. I really feel like that's what we're trying to do here because I see no reason why we would otherwise loan Guedes when, let's face it, he's been kind of a terrible signing for us. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think it works the other way, too, in terms of loaning in uh, with an option or, or obligation for the summer, because uh, as I understand it, the profit and sustainability stuff is on a sort of rolling three year uh, cycle. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're going to have a lot more freedom in the summer. And so even if it were essentially buying a player in January, but we don't actually have to pay up until summer, that actually does make a like big Cunha. difference. 
yeah, yeah in terms of the balance sheet. So, yeah, yeah. So there are reports of a couple of number nines we could be looking at. One of them's Che Adams, who's over at Southampton, potentially six million dollars for him, which does still kind of seem like a lot considering he's in the final six month of his contract. The other one is Chelsea striker Armando Brogia. Um, what do you think, Paul? Who would you rather have? Uh, again, I think it comes down to the 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 whole finances element. I think we'd we'd be at this point we'd be priced out of Brogia unless the terms are really favourable in in a similar loan fee, and then some stacked in our favor deal for a permanent in the summer. But I, I, I don't know. It's like if, if this was pre-injury, I'd have been all over it. And maybe that's why he's available, that he's not hit the heights potentially of what, um, what they're expecting. Is that injury? Is it, is it form? Um, so with with that, I'm kind of torn a little. I'd probably I'd probably say no. I'd I'd probably lean more in the Che Adams or someone similar camp, just as more of a a, a stopgap bench option to to see us through to the summer. If it was Che Adams, Dan, how long of a contract would you give him? Just like two years. Yeah, at most. I'm 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 not a huge fan of. Um, Che Adams, I think he could do a job for us off the bench, like we were saying, but I don't think he's that much of an improvement over someone like um, Fraser, like we were saying, give him the chance. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know there's a good player in there somewhere, but he, he hasn't shown it lately. Um, I do like Breyer, I think that's a good option, but for the reasons Paul says, I'd probably not go with him either, because his injury record in particular kind of worries me. I think he's missed like 40-something games in the past two seasons. Um, so he does seem like he would be someone that's kind of injury prone for us. What's Diego Costa? I'm not, I'm not a fan of these days. Yeah, Diego Costa. <laughs> Let's get him back. Yeah. We could get I the wolves probably, from the zoo again. I probably have more confidence now, though, that they could find better value in Europe. And I think that's why we've had some of these reports of names that we might not have been totally familiar with, but we've been talked of uh, in the same breath of others that, they're bound to be putting feelers out. They've probably got a whole bunch list of targets and and making inquiries. I think Broge is probably in there, but if they could get a guy similar age from from a lesser league, but less than half the price, that's possibly a, a bigger upside. I wouldn't be surprised if they're, they're exploring those avenues either. What What would you say to a six foot one striker, um, sort of a journeyman, you might say? He scored six goals, one assist this season in Spain. Thirty-two. Thirty-two. It's um, it's William Jose, isn't it? It is William Jose. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to be a trick question in there somehow. Yeah. <laughs> He's another one that probably gets too much hate for just being bad in a bad team <laughs> you know it's Sometimes... funny because we've had a lot of success lately with brazilian players with Jal gomez and cunha yeah. so maybe it's time to bring him back yeah exactly <laughs> oh i would love to hear the south bank on that one <laughs> there, could, there could be a song similar to 
Dicoophobie Sacco in terms of like Gomez and Cunha and William Jose. I might have to yeah. have a few minutes to to uh, write up a little ditty, or maybe next <laughs> week. But who, yeah, it could could have the uh, could have the South Bank singing the tune. <laughs> and then, boys, came the real juicy gossip, which was actually on ESPN.com. Uh, Gio Reyna appears on his way out at Dortmund. Can't say that's too much a surprise. Uh, they're saying maybe on loan they'd prefer permanent transfer for around fifteen million. Okay, that's a solid price. Uh, Wolves were mentioned by name as one of the clubs, and guess what? He's a Mendez boy. Um, <laughs> Alex, I'll start with you. Excitement level on that, or eh? We that boat's that ship sailed. Uh, um, I think I lean more in the ship has sailed. Like, I, I mean, as much as we as Americans want an American to kind of hang our hat on it at, at Wolves, that's not the one I want necessarily. <laughs> um, and a lot of it, I mean, I don't know that I would have said that a year, year and a half ago, but a lot of it I think has to do with these supposed attitude issues. And I, and I don't mean that to say like, he won't go somewhere else and be successful. We don't know who he really is as a person. Right. But um, I have seen too many like Gonzalo Gettish uh, guys already. And I don't want to go buy a guy. Like I love his upside. I, I think he's a skilled player. I love that he is American. Uh, I don't want to have to like, give the hardest sales pitch ever just for someone to try to come to the wolves. And quite frankly, like if you're making that sales pitch to him now, he's at Dortmund. I don't think he's happy at Dortmund. And I think part of that is that he's not consistently picked all the time. Mm -hmm. Is he in the starting 11 for wolves? If he comes here in January, once he's bedded in in February, like he absolutely isn't. So yeah. then he's going to, you know, those same problems I think can fester and grow. And then all of a sudden, Next thing you know, it's like yeah, for fifteen million, maybe it's not the biggest risk, but this is also a club that's on, you know, perpetually on the verge of being charged by the Premier <laughs> League for uh, financial fair play rules or whatever. Um, I think in this case, thank you, George Mendez. I know you just recently signed him on as a client. I know that's the reason we're being linked to him, but in this case, I think we'll pass. At least for me, I don't know if you guys feel differently. Danny, what are your thoughts? I think he's going to agree with you, Alex. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'm just not, I'm not a fan of that style of American player. I, I don't know exactly what that is. Um, but I think that even for these guys who were born abroad, and actually I think he was born in like Sunderland. Um, well, his, well, his dad was still playing, obviously. Um, you know, it's just, there's, there's a certain part of American soccer culture, which is very toxic. <laughs> and, uh, and even though like, like Alex said, I don't necessarily blame him uh, for a lot of the drama, you know, it's just, it's such a bad scene and our, our chemistry right now, our vibes are so good. And it is such a rare alchemy when you get it right, that I'm so worried about throwing that in there. And in addition, selfishly, <laughs> I'm worried for us <laughs> if he is the monkey wrench that gets thrown into that. Um, you know, I have a I have a good friend who's a Leeds <laughs> fan. And let me tell you, a lot of Leeds fans not thrilled with Americans right now because <laughs> they see them as part of the problem. 
Um, and you know, it can very much, it could, it could go that way very quickly if, if, if it became a boondoggle and it just does feel a bit like he's a George Mendez client now. So like, you know, I'm sure that George Mendez did write a, write Jeff Sheehan email or whatever, pick up the phone, but, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's not like, it's not like a serious thing. It's just like, he's being shopped around. So I'm not like, I'm not expecting something imminently either. Yeah, with Gio, I've always felt he's not the best American player, but I feel like he's the most talented, just pure talent. But the issue becomes kind of what's going on with the U.S. men's national team. Well, is he a winger or is he a uh, mm-hmm. attacking midfielder? If he's an attacking midfielder, there's definitely not a spot for him on the team. If he's right. a winger, okay, that could be a good replacement for Neto perhaps. Um, but again, if you're going to do that, it would just have to be a loan with an option to buy. And I don't know if he'd give the go ahead on that. What do you think, Paul? I think the, the dynamic here is all around that that position. Like what's what's his best position mm-hmm. and where how how is that piece going to fit based on that departure? Because Neto's departure, you know, probably the summer, if again, if reports are to be believed. What's the outlook on Sarabia as well? He's, mm-hmm. he's not kind of getting any younger. So is there scope there? So possibly, I think that that one upside just mentioned briefly is I think he qualifies for homegrown as well. So that factors into it that you've got a player that you haven't got to, got to worry about in terms of quota. So mm. um yeah, I'd, I'd I'd be interested in in figuring out what his best position is and whether it's it's an option moving forward. Dan, if money was no option, FFP is no option. Besides Christian Pulisic, who would be the U.S. Men's National Team player you'd like playing on Wolves? Well, here's the funny thing about me. So even though I've been in the, the U.S. for 13 years, I'm still very, very much an England national team fan. So I'm not as well versed on the U.S. national team. So However, Weston I, I McKinney, was a... gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. I was a big fan of Balogun, though. I thought he would be a good option for us if we signed him. Um, yeah. I don't think there's a chance of that happening yeah. now. But he was <laughs> not unless player, uh, Jeff she finds another $60 yeah. million dollars under the couch cushion. Exactly. I feel like there's but, a whole crop of players in that bracket right now. Like the the main ones are to me uh Balogun and on the Mexican side, Santi Jimenez, where it's like, man, if we hadn't been so uh, had such a tight belt the last couple of years and could have snapped up Santi Jimenez before he blew up or Balogun before he blew up, it's just like some of these players, it's like we've just slightly missed the boat and now we're talking like, you know, 40 million, 50 million potentially and there's no way in hell we're doing that. But you did say if money wasn't an option, so I think yeah, so there if it wasn't, go. then Balogun, obviously, has that number nine position. Uh, just pointing it out, guys, uh, the esports team only has to win 125 championships and we can afford it. <laughs> Get working, esports. Yeah, let's go, guys. Come on. Uh, bring in that cash. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, it's another weekday game. Yeah. It's 
gonna be Just Monday, two forty-five p.m. Eastern, one forty-five Central. For Dan, it's eleven forty-five a.m. Boy, that's uh, that's late in the day for you, apparently, with your schedule, huh? Yeah, I guess so. I'm used to the four a.m. games, but it sits nicely at my lunchtime from work, so I'll be able to watch the whole game, no issues. There you go. So this is going to be Monday against Brighton, who Paul, um, they put a stomping on us. It was back in uh, back in August time. It was looking a bit grim when you had a side like a lower side like Brighton turn up and uh, and and do that number on us. But you know, it, I think it it's one measure of how far this team has come, and I think it's going to be a real good benchmark on on Monday to to see where we are in comparison, and that's what gives me little more confidence going into it actually that you can't really compare the two fixtures and us going there um although our away record hasn't been the greatest i still think with the the dynamic that they got within the team how they can set up um could see us come away with a result well we were set to have paul dorsey from stateside seagulls uh get on the show but uh you know had had something pop up at the last minute, so we hope all is well with Paul. So, Dan, uh, with your FPL perspective, you get to give us the Brighton rundown. Um, who do you feel are their biggest threats right now? You know, I was actually in the UK in August, and I was actually at Molyneux for the game against Brighton, my first Wolves game oh, in a so long it's time. it's your fault. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so it's my fault, yeah. Um, and they, they destroyed us, like you said. Um but as Paul said, both these teams have completely changed since then. I feel like Brighton, if anything, have weakened and we've strengthened. We don't have Mateus Nunes stinking up the team anymore. Um, but I will say, watching that game, Estupinian was a huge threat against us. And I'm kind of worried about him. And when you asked me earlier about if FPL affects my Wolves decisions, I had Estupinian in that game. He got a goal, he got like 11 points, and I was still furious. So... <laughs> That just goes to show that how much of a Wolves fan I am. But yeah, I'm I'm very concerned about Estupinian back from injury now. He's so attacking. He gets in such good positions. And he's going to be on that left wing against Semedo. I think that's going to be a, a huge battle there. Alex, that was the last game before we started doing Salt and Lemon. Do you think that makes a difference? I think it makes a huge difference. You know, never mind that... It was, uh, you know, just still days into Gary O'Neill's tenure. That that had nothing to do with it. It was all you, Josh. Uh, that was also a uh, faux Sunday. Um, oh, here that's in, right. Oh, yeah, that's right. York, York Wolves, which was absolutely terrible. And, you know, we were in a headspace where we thought O'Neill would be, you know, sacked before the January transfer window. And, you know, no nobody quite vandalized the Fosin building that we were watching that game at, but there were there was definitely some uh some people really souring on the on our ownership group even further at that point. Come a long way. Um, is Matoma hurt still, Dan? Do you know? Yeah. Matoma's still out my uh team a long time ago, so I actually haven't been paying attention because well, once I don't and, have them, I don't And even if he wasn't much. hurt, he'd be with Japan. Exactly. Ah, right. That's right. A player we really have to watch out for is um, Pascal Gross. His yeah. delivery from set pieces is ridiculously good. And 
you know, we have shown some weakness there at times. So we have to really watch out for him as well as Jao Pedro is on fire right now. Um, so I think Jao Pedro, Pascal Gross and Estupinian, we need to keep those three really quiet if we want to win this game. But I'm very confident we can get the result. Um, Paul, what do you think lineup changes wise? Obviously, Gomez still going to be out. Um, I would assume Dawson would slot back into the starting 11, but we'll be looking at left back in that second midfielder spot again. Yeah, I think I I think Dawson comes back in. I think he he probably didn't travel to to Dubai purposefully, and then that's why he got the. The, the break out of the uh, the Brentford game. Well, in terms of break, he came on, so he's obviously uh, fit enough for that. So I think he comes in. I again, it's like I don't think um, I don't think Breno is, is in a point to to really take that starting berth on the left hand side. So I think by default it goes to Doc, which I'm not entirely uh, convinced with. Um, but I think Lamina comes back in to start, and I think it'll be him and Doyle uh, as a two. Uh, Danny, is that kind of how you see it as well? Yeah, I think more or less. Um, to me, the big question is whether or not Neto starts, because I, I really thought that he was going to start um, this this game against Brentford. Um, so, uh, you know, I... I'd say it's more likely than not that Neto starts, but I, I was kind of surprised to see him not not even come on at halftime um, to wait until I think it was around the 60th minute. Um, so that'll that'll be the big question because I think that that also changes a lot of how we approach it because we saw like against Brentford, we had sort of like Jean Rickner Bellegarde playing as like a false nine, which like I know people hated, but it's like it's not the worst idea. We still get people like Cunha into good positions out of that, but I think that. If if you just make the swap of like, and this is simplistic, but if you make the swap of Bellegarde out and Neto in, I think that completely changes the attacking approach. So, you think that's the move Dan is bringing a uh, Bellegarde out and Neto in, or do you think it would be Sarabia instead? Yeah, that's the question I have because I think Neto for sure starts this game. I think it's the first game he starts. I think we have to start him, and then it's a case of do you take out Sarabia? Do you take out Bellegarde? Um. I personally think for the Brighton game, I would prefer Bellicard to be in there. But, you know, I, I don't know what O'Neill's going to do for this one. All right, guys, let's look at the prediction standings. None of us had this one right. Although, Paul, you were closest. You had 1-1 with it going to PKs. So, uh, but that's still no points for you and doesn't help you from your sitting at the bottom of the table. Uh, our guest spot, Alex and myself, have 16 points. Danny, you're right behind at 14. And uh, Paul, at some point, man, he, he, there may be a managerial change. I don't know what's going on here. Just gotta <laughs> wait for the, 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 the January window to close, and it'll be a totally different story <laughs> from the spring onwards. That new signing is going to revolutionize my predictions. <laughs> Gio Reyna. <laughs> helping Paul make predictions. All right, Dan, you get to go first as our guest. What is your prediction for the match? I'm going to go for 2-2. Two, two. I'm going to go straight out there with a big score. I think two, two. there's no way we keep a clean sheet, and I don't think they're going to keep a clean sheet. So 
Let's go for 2-2. Two, two. Okay, I like it. Alex? Um, I think I, I will do 2-1 to Wolves. Maybe that's a little too optimistic, but they haven't lost in a while, so maybe I should pick them to lose, but actually, you know, I think I'm just going to keep riding this wave. 2-1 win. Okay. Danny? Yeah. Brighton actually, I think, kept their very first clean sheet in their last game. Uh, so they have been struggling to keep goals out. So I've been thinking about this. This this goes beyond this game. Uh, so if Wolves can win this game, I will wake up and open and finish one beer before the uh, the West Brom game that starts at 6.45 a.m. my time. That's a bold and, move. Yeah. Let's go. And Wolves. furthermore, uh, I will... I'll commit to drinking a beer for every uh, point of our winning margin. So, so I think that that's a pretty safe one. Uh, I'm gonna be really devastated, honestly, if we if we win three nil. But I feel like winning three nil would be worth it. Uh, to then have to wake up at uh, you know five thirty in the morning and, and crush three beers. <laughs> um, so I have to back that result, but I will go with a more modest two uh, one. I think. I think both teams score. Two one wolves. Okay, Paul. If you're wanting to gain points, boy, you gotta get a correct score here or go against wolves. <laughs> if ever there was a fixture that screamed a one one, it's this one. So one draw. One one draw. I like Dan's prediction. I think two two draw sounds about right. Um, and I would be a okay with a two two draw. Getting a point out of there. Um, you know, keeping the, the scoring going, I'd be fine with 2-2. Two, two. No Stupid Questions is presented by Esfuerzo Wines. Located just north of Santa Barbara, California, Esfuerzo Wines showcases passion and three generations of winemaking in every bottle. So whether you're celebrating a Wolves victory or winding down after a day at work, let Esfuerzo Wines transport you to the heart of California's wine country with every sip. For a limited time, Head to EsfuerzoWines.com and use the promo code WOLVES for a 15% discount on your wine purchases. This message is intended for those of legal drinking age. Do not drink and drive. Excessive alcohol consumption may be harmful to your health. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcohol abuse, please seek help. Esfuerzo Wines reminds you to enjoy their products responsibly and in moderation. All right, Alex. It's everybody's favorite time. It's no stupid questions. It is the time of the show where we take the questions from you listeners. You can tweet them at us uh, at WLW. Pod is our handle on Twitter or X, uh, and uh, some submissions this week uh, via email as well. You could always email us hello at whole lot of wolves dot com. And of course, those stupid questions is brought to you by Esfuerzo Wines. Esfuerzo Wines dot com promo code wolves to get a discount on your wine order. I'm uh, running a little dry. It's not quite dry January, but I, I think I'm going to have to uh, reload uh, my my stock here soon, getting ready for February when we compensate for all the good behaviors that we've built up through January. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Charlotte Wolves on uh, on Twitter. How did the Liquidator become a Wolves win song? And um, it's a two-part question. Do you want to address that one first, uh, Paul or Dan? So I, I think I'm not. I'd have to have a better explanation of a wind song, but it was more. It's always been the, um, the walkout song, or it was when, 
me and Dan were watching games in the 90s and then it was West Midlands police that got it banned from Molyneux because of saying fuck off West Brom with the chorus, <laughs> yet they still had full license to, to carry on with it. And it's not necessarily like a, a Wolves Albion thing. It was more of like a football anthem from the 70s, I think it was. So it's always quite prominently played at Chelsea, for example. So there's more history towards it than just uh, this particular rivalry. All right. Uh, that's good background. Uh, it was West Brom also played it, right? Like, so it would, you know, Wolves away mm-hmm. fans, I think, would do that. And uh, we've yeah. seen clips of uh, Wolves away supporters doing it at Chelsea, too, for no reason, saying F off West Brom. So, you know, it's very, it's, it's very similar in Alabama. Uh, they do that with Dixieland Delight. They have hmm. a part where there's a chorus and it gets to a point and it's supposed to say beat Auburn in LSU in Tennessee too. And it turned into fuck Auburn. <laughs> and then during one of the iron bowls, just the entire thing, instead of any of the other stuff, the, the whole crowd was just going, fuck Auburn, fuck Auburn. And so it got banned for several years. And then there was a video that came out with Nick Saban and some of the players. That's like, okay, we're going to do this again, but you know, please be clean about it. So their way around it was very similar to how you see a lot of, teams handling mexico on goal kicks is they'll just have somebody on the mic so when it reaches that point he screams out beat auburn so he <laughs> drowns out all the fucks mm. <laughs> this is related how do we feel about villa using hi-ho silver lining i've been noticing that one oh didn't someone write a question about that last week or something i feel like we just got something about that that's weird. Not not to my recollection. And it's been a bee in my bonnet. <laughs> a Brentford bee in your bonnet? How do we feel about it? I I it's it sucks. Why it's happening, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Imitation is the best form of flattery. I also feel like I heard them playing uh uh everybody wants to rule the world after after a win. And maybe I'm imagining that one, but I it's like I have this conspiracy theory now. They're just copying wolves. But at we, least we're not at least we're not singing about forever blowing bubbles like West Ham or we have that little yeah. leprechaun music that Everton play when their <laughs> yes. players run out. <laughs> I think I think we stole uh Rule the World as well from yeah, I'm sure. when we beat Man United in the cup, because I'm pretty sure that those two Man United fans and it's it's one of their songs. Um, right. I, I, we we'll get quite we'll get qualification <laughs> on, on these, so we're not talking about our, our, our rear ends. But I'm pretty sure yeah. it's uh, it's down to that. It's a but, deep but, deep rabbit hole. We don't have yeah, time for yeah. all of the all of the songs. <laughs> Very quickly, bonus music question: um, Rocking all over the world has been playing a lot because Wolves have been winning. Was that new? Because Paul, you pointed it out last season. And I don't remember it before that, but maybe I'm crazy. And they've been doing it for like a decade. I don't know. Not majorly long. And I'm I'm showing my detachment here as well that I'm struggling to remember even if they played songs after a victory, you know, back in the day. <laughs> it's definitely more of having something now that seems on the background because there's a camera all of the time now for a Premier League game and it's going around the individual players and they're getting the like the atmosphere with it and then 
even the club are able to turn it into content as well. You always get that celebratory post to social media and the music's in the background and it's a slow motion clapping. So I think it's more more theatre than anything now. Yeah. Um, okay. The second part of uh, the question from Charlotte Wolves was, um, do they play loads of Zeppelin at Molyneux? If no, uh, why the heck not? Um, yeah. Play, yeah. play, play, play a ton of the, uh, of the main ones. And even that, um, that, what was the song? It went, it was, um, the Jimmy Page guitar one and it was on Godzilla. That one, that one features prominently before they come out as well. So. Yeah, lot a lot of coverage of uh, Zeppelin songs. All right, um, moving on to uh, Stu from the Wolves Fancast who says, "What was the moment that pushed a certain someone to channel their inner Michael Douglas and go to war with the whole of Wolverhampton?" This is a. Uh, he also provided a very nice visual. So, uh, Josh, I don't know if you want to tee that up. Was he talking about um, me? He was talking about me. <laughs> Provide the context. Come on, take us through. What, what I, was this? I mean, a look, of days ago, I, right? I, I'd walk people all the way through it, but judging by the amount of views on those tweets, everybody's pretty much familiar with it right now. One thing that triggers me is American fans being called plastic. Well, Stu had a good post, and Adam Reamer had posted on there, and somebody jumped on and was like, stupid American plastics. Okay, I got to jump in there. You know, we're not plastics. I mean, look, you guys, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know Alex, Danny, Paul, they work their butts off with this podcast. Um, and so I don't think we're plastics. We spend money just as well. Um, and so I was making that point. Got a lot of positive support on it that first night. You know, yeah, everybody's like, okay. Um, I did say that, you know, Wolves fans are great. It's a very small minority who thinks that uh, Americans are plastics and should be nowhere near the club. Um, and I said, you know, I, I really feel like all Wolves fans should embrace American fans uh, because we're the key to making it a bigger club. Okay, maybe key was the wrong word. That's the only thing I will take back on this whole rant. I probably should have said important and not the key. Um but yeah, like I said, it was usually, it was mostly positive. And then I woke up the next morning to a hundred notifications and that tweet being viewed over 65,000 times and Stu sending a message saying, RIP your mentions. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, again, it's a very small minority that doesn't like Americans as um, Wolves fans, but they are definitely there. Um, and they definitely like to you to know they don't want you. Um, but overall, I actually picked up over a hundred followers. I think there were a lot of people that understood what I was wanting to say. Um, one of the good points I saw was, well, it's tough to determine if Americans are plastic or not until wolves get relegated and they stick with the team. I think that's a very good point. Um, but Paul, I mean, the whole reason you created this podcast as a Wolverhampton guy was, to kind of grow the sport with American fans, because I think you see the importance of that with the club, right? I, I do with the club, but I think it's the most, and, and I'm blinkered in that being in the country, I just see that it's the most, that the, 
the fandom of, of following a soccer team is very similar to the fandom of a lot of American fans following their team, be it a college football team, be it an NFL team, being a, a baseball nerd and being really in on every game and, and following that way. So it was always my feeling that if you're able to hook an American fan into soccer and getting them a team, that's going to be their team for life. And for the, I'd say that again, the point has proved itself so far that I would say, I'm not kind of picking these off, but like 80% of the new fans that have picked walls from America have stuck through the team. I would say the plastic element comes into it when it's the, the fans that follow the player and that would be Raul mm-hmm. and I'm not picking on our South American fans either, but how many South Koreans are going to be watching Wolves in six, seven, eight years time when, when Wang's not there, unless there's a production line. So some will obviously that we'll, we'll have that percentage going all the way through, but that's what got my point is that I think Americans are hugely passionate about their sport. So if they if they get the team, they're they're gonna stick stick to it. And I think it's even more reinforces the point that if we were plastic and if we were jumping on a bandwagon, there's no way in God's green earth you'd <laughs> support you. Wolverhampton fucking wondrous. So <laughs> you know, there's there's plenty more better better decisions to make in life. So Yeah, the way I describe it to people, and I think and Dan, you can even say if this is the case. I think more people that are native Wolverhampton fans are more intrigued by the fact on how Americans could actually pick Wolves as their team because you guys are born into it. We're we do this by choice. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not from Wolverhampton, as I said, I'm from Coventry, but it's Coventry, close yeah. enough. But but even I get the the statement sometimes. Who do you support? And I say Wolves, and the first question is why. Like <laughs> that that just shows what. Plastic fans are, and I think it's misdefined to be honest, because I don't think it matters where you come from. I don't think it matters how you came about supporting them. If you're someone that loves the team, if you're someone that watches every game, if you're someone that creates content for Wolves, whatever it is, then you're a fan. And I think it can only be a good thing that we're getting more and more people investing in the team. The term plastic, in my mind, comes when like Paul said, you're supporting the player or, mm-hmm. you know, we get, let's say we get relegated as a championship. You're all of a sudden not a fan anymore. Yeah. That's what a plastic is. If you're if an American I was a plastic fan, then... fan, I would have left when Adama left. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Be a full fan right now. Yeah. If you're an American and you've fell in love with Wolves for whatever reason, and you're following the team and you're supporting them, it's only a good thing in my eyes. Paul, how close were you to putting me on the uh, transfer block uh, the other day? <laughs> It, it it was close to one episode ban for uh, for irregularities of the uh, <laughs> transatlantic transatlantic relations, but I I, I think the uh, the percentages are, are in our favour that we're we're all rooting for the, the the same goal, and there was lots of good points. I saw that the the majority of the fan base base do get it that it, it's a global audience now. Um, tourists aren't taking up seats 
and the the only sad thing for me there is that that when they are it's probably because the local fans have been priced out which it, it, it's happening unfortunately yeah. and and that is a it's nothing to do with us it, it's to do with the the economics of the league it's to do with these huge tv revenues that absolutely blow out the water of that match day revenue so unfortunately the club can charge what they want when it comes to yep walk up prices season tickets you know um and and that's the that's the one the one sad thing about all of this because it can impact atmosphere you want that raucous molyneux you you want it full you want it sold out uh each home game is is that going to be the case moving forwards now the only way it possibly can be is if you had a decent expansion of the um the capacity and which would be able to bring the prices down slightly but even then it's kind of if is a 60,000 capacity Molyneux uh, worth it if there's only 40,000 people in there? So there, there, there's a whole bunch that, that we could be talking about in this for, for hours when it comes to the whole dynamics of modern football support in the modern fandom. But in, in an ideal world, you'd want a full raucous Molyneux. Uh, you'd want a vibrant overseas fan base. You'd want neutrals overseas tuning in looking at the pictures that are coming back from Wolverhampton thinking wow that sounds really loud look at the limbs when we score um look at that last minute winner on ESPN plus when it's Fraser in front of the <laughs> Smethic end in front of all those Wolves fans that's what you want uh, are we ever going to get there probably not but you know, it I, I feel like with Wolves, that's part of the adventure about being a Wolves fan. This is it's really grassroots, man. One by one, you can bring in more Wolves fans. And you know what? Those people buy merchandise and that stuff goes towards FFP. I know it may not make a huge dent, but with how close we were to breaking breaches, I mean, every little bit helps. And I will clarify, at no point will I ever say that Americans are more important than the native fans because you guys are the ones that fill up the stadium even the away stand i swear wolves fans are always the loudest on the broadcast like it's awesome um you guys were the ones sitting out there in that cold uh um against brentford the other night all i ask is that hey just embrace us like we want to learn more about the culture we want to we love being wolves fans i think the pack is just awesome um and even the ones that don't like us Americans. You know what? Hopefully we'll win them over someday. Hopefully they'll see that we're not plastics. I never want to be relegated, but even if they were, I'd still stick with wolves. And I think we can all do this together and, and just keep building wolves. Well said. Yeah. Well, one that, one that you may have won over, I was scrolling through all the millions of notifications we got and just realized that, uh, the artist, the very artist who, uh, created that, uh, that uh that song uh the pack that plays on the on the loop uh Reepa, he liked the tweet that we were tagged in which is the video of you putting lemon on your body yes that's a, that's a collaboration right there in some <laughs> yes. way you know? so totally you know cool. Reepa, if you want to if you want to drop us a 
DM. And thanks um, for not banning me, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll move on to uh, Steve Young, who uh, asks, uh, he said he heard Nate on uh, Soccer Neophytes. Uh, talking uh, Premier League derbies and relating it to our college football rivalries, it reminded me of a question. Which has the greater effect on the atmosphere in a stadium, seeing supporters or the marching bands? Supporters, 100%. Yeah, it's got to be. 100%. There are only a select few bands that really can compare, (laughs) Um, but overall, I think singing fans is just awesome. I really do. I'm really proud of you that you didn't take the bait and suggest that Molyneux get a marching band. Oh, no, no. Oh. I, I'm not anti-marching band because my, my cousin's in a marching band and he wants to do that. But um, I definitely think they're overrated as far as the need for them to increase atmosphere. So I'll take singing fans every day. Dan, do you follow college football being in America this long? I do not know. Um, I follow the NFL, but that's a, that's about it for American Ooh, sports. Who's your I'm NFL playing... team? It's the Seahawks. Okay. And I've been called plastic being a Seahawks fan, so I know how you feel. There <laughs> yeah. we go. Uh, 12s are weird. Those 12s guys are weird. <laughs> uh, Drew from Pittsburgh emailed us, hello at wolves.com with rumors about high-profile departures is this what it's like rooting for a mid-table team? I've followed Wolves for two to three years, and I've really started to get into it this year, especially it seems like if a top six team comes calling, it's a foregone conclusion that they'll just take what they want. Uh, he also goes on to ask uh, whether there will be only departures in the summer uh, and uh, not this current window. What do you Paul, I think, think you kind of alluded to this uh, a little bit earlier. Yeah, back, back to front, I think... We we will see a departure or two uh, in the summer, and it and it is the case, you know, that this is what what we've been set up for, and unless something changes um, drastically with, with ownership or uh, investment, then we have got to be um, cognizant of the this is what how we how we structured and how we are moving forward, and it. And it is, and it, it purely boils down to um, that top six, that top seven being based on wealth and, and then everyone else. And I think probably this season's the exception based on the teams that come up, but you could you could generally say that the teams from 7th to 20th, all of them at one point could be in a relegation scrap and it's whoever plays it the smartest in terms of recruitment and strategy and um, academy, bringing players through, that's where you're going to see the the type of progress. And are you even going to break that top seven anymore? Probably not. But could you possibly knock one or two of them aside if you have a good run on one season or you end up winning the cup and, and grab Europe and maybe that gets you a further ring up on the ladder, but I think this is the, the station that we're firmly at the moment. And I think the biggest disappointment for that, and Dan, maybe you can comment on it for, further, is that you can find a player who you really, really love, like a Jao Gomez, but then you kind of know in your back of your mind, like, he's not going to be here two, three years from now. So um, it's almost 
better to have loved a little than never have loved at all, right, Dan? No, exactly. And that, that's just the state of the game right now. Like Paul said, you have the top six and seven, and then you have the, the rest of the league. And you just have to really try and have a good season and try and sneak into Europe, whether it's through winning the cup or getting that seventh place, and then trying to push on for there. But really, you're just trying to do as well as you can. And the fact is, if you have a player that's doing really well, the top teams are going to come for them and you have to let them go and you have to get the money, you have to replace them with someone else. It's just how it is these days, unfortunately. And sometimes you get lucky and you have a player such as Ruben Neves for a long time. He becomes a, a legend of the club. And that's just how it is being a Wolves fan right now. And I'm going to make an assumption that Drew from Pittsburgh is maybe a Pirates fan as well. So he's kind of used to this with baseball as well, which again... You know, some of us are just masochists, man. We're choosing Wolves as our club. Yeah. Um, by the way, since Dan mentioned Ruben Neves, my stupid question is, am I alone in missing him a little bit less now that he's cut his hair? Like, I don't long for him quite the same way. It's like Samson. It's weird. <laughs> well, I think uh, it helps that, you know, how Lamina and Gomez have done too. Yes, no, of course. Uh, and, I, I have and a very controversial. Sorry, I have a very controversial opinion that I think Wolves are better without Ruben Neves because, as as exceptional as he was, every single ball went through him. We were always looking to pass the ball for him, and he was a very slow player. He was amazing at passing and doing those long balls, but I feel like he slowed the game down a little bit. Um, since we've brought in Lamina and Gomez, we just play such a faster pace, and we pass the ball all around the midfield. We make so much more through balls and runs down the wing. So I just think as a team, it suits us better without him as much as I loved him. Yeah. It is hard to envision him playing in, in the Gary O'Neill system, yeah. whatever yeah. the system is, it's kind of always evolving, but it, it's fast. It's direct. It's, you know, it's, it's everything he kind of wasn't still will always love him. Um, I just, yeah. Really, I just saw a tweet that he cut his hair, and I was like, is that an old photo? Oh, no, no. It's like his old hairstyle from, you know, our championship days. And, uh, yeah. R. I do I like how all those thing. guys that went to Saudi now are, like, trying to bail out of there because they're like, wait, we're getting paid a lot, but we're not on TV. We're not going to be in discussion for any awards, and there's, like, 100 people at our game. Like, There's a whole other this. can of worms. I don't know if we can open this yeah, one. Yeah, we're not going to open it today. But. <laughs> That might uh, elongate the show by another 45 minutes, probably. <laughs> um, anyway, thanks to everyone who wrote in for No Stupid Questions. Again, brought to you by Esfuerzo Wines. Three generations of winemaking in every bottle. It's really good stuff. We encourage you to go to EsfuerzoWines.com if you haven't yet. Use the promo code WOLVES. When you do, you'll get a discount, and uh, I think you'll be quite pleased. All right, Dan. Well, we enjoyed having you on the show today. Why don't you tell everybody... How they can reach you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been really great. You can find me on um, Twitter slash X at FPL underscore Blackwolf. So if you're someone that plays Fantasy Premier League, that's the, the reason you would follow me. I have my own podcast as well, which is um, Fantasy Premier League based with two of my American friends. Um, so yeah, anytime. What's the name of that podcast? It's FPL USA Press Play. Thank you for reminding me. I said we have a podcast and I didn't even <laughs> give a name. <laughs>
And that brings this week's episode to an end. Thank you to Danny, man in the socials, Alex doing the producing. We are going to be back pretty soon after that Brighton game to uh, find out what happens at the Amex. Seems it is a Monday game because then we get all excited leading up to that Black Country derby. So in the meantime, everybody, you can start to say it already when... We all know the cliche, it's up the walls, but it's also fuck off West Brom. <laughs>